video, like I don't need to put my face on, right? And then at the same time, Shane wrote, no, I left mine with my dad. And I wrote, well, mine's with my mom. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What just happened? That joke just went meta, and now we both revealed something. I'm not sure what. <laughs> I, I've been sitting here thinking, okay, now I'm going to have to figure out a way to make that turn into a story. <laughs> We're going to have to, I should say, since you started it. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> All right. Hi, everyone. Hi. Gosh. Hi. Laurel, I loved your book, as you know. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah. And I'd like to say that uh, it's sound a little bit more than that blurb, which was I just I'm a fan of I'm a huge fan of horror stories that have um what I, I guess what I would call like they can hold one note through them. I think Bird Box is like that as well, where you could literally hold one note on the synthesizer or an organ through the whole freaking story. And and but it, but it, it's not a slow burn. It's not any less propulsive than a than a thriller, I guess, you know, that kind of I mean, you know what I mean? It yeah. just still totally moves on its own, but it just carries that same color, that same tone the whole way through. And Crossroads was like that, and I absolutely loved it. And I talked to Ryan about it today even, and bravo. It's really great. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I, I do very much appreciate you because I know you had to move up your schedule on reading that and everything. So it, it, just very, very appreciative of you putting the time in on that. Oh, man. Yeah. I Yeah. Now I want to read the other one. And then are you working on another one now? You must be, right? Obviously. I've got several manuscripts that are like mostly done and probably just need really frustrating edits at this point. Really? <laughs> I'm a numbers guy. How many do you have? Um, <laughs> da, 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 four and a half that are finished. Wow. Wait, including the two that are already out? Or would that make sense? No, that's no, that's yeah. separate. So, so you're um, at six and a half books right now. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how viable, uh, some of them are going to be, uh, I mean, but you know, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where if I slap the end on something, it's done and viable, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I like that theory. <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't agree with you. I was going to say, I couldn't agree with you more on what you had to say about Laurel's book, Josh. Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, perfect perfect perfectly riffs on that one like you say theme all the way through and just hold you you know but well, not an easy thing to do like as we all know it's like in my i think the witch is like that i think um there's a number of movies god you could even almost argue that the shining the movie is like that where it, it's just this one sort of mm, the whole way through and it's not an easy thing to pull off but the bizarre thing is, it's 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 in a in a strange way, it's almost easier than a thriller because it's a less is more. So the hard part is realizing or recognizing that you should be doing less. That's the hard part. And you know, because when you set out to write a book, you're like, oh shit, I gotta fill 300 pages, you know, with like a bunch of scenes and characters. <laughs> yeah. That's but, how I, that's how I feel sometimes when I start a book. I'm like, oh my god, I have to invent something, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then, but then a lot of the time it's like, okay, I got these nine friends. It's like, wait, hold on. If it's just these two friends, man, this thing is really claustrophobic, really tight, really intimate. And then, and then, and I, for me, easier to write, even though it's hard to maintain the quote unquote thrill of a, of a single setting or a couple settings and a couple characters. 
but for me there you can get like deeper into their heads yes yeah. yeah and it's and that was something i wanted to kind of ask you on process too is like I didn't, you know, I didn't set out to write mine in that fashion. It was just that Chris was, you know, in my head as far as what was going on with her. And I just kind of wrote her story. I expected it to be shorter, actually. So, you know, when when you do those things, like, I mean, do you make like a conscious decision on it? Like, okay, I'm going to pare this down to this and I'm going to keep it to this sort of level of simplicity. Or does it just does it just go (sighs) like it's in the rough drafts, a bit of just go. But with the rewrites, it be, does often become if you hear another note aside from that one you started with, it better be um, it better be cool. You know, it better be like a minor note. It better be like some sort of maybe strange seventh or ninth. And if it's not one of those, if it's just like a bright major note, like, you know, you got to get rid of it. That kind of thing. Like, I don't want to die. Lately, I've been really worried about like diluting the scare if that makes sense like and this is actually accidentally leading us to talking about mallory because in bird box i had the original draft was twice as long and there were twice as many housemates and there was a second thread that i ended up removing that i felt diluted the scare in other words added a second note that um now you weren't just worried about the creatures you were worried about something else as well and so that was definitely a conscious effort to um um pare it down like you're saying yeah that's really great and i like i i'm actually not someone that thinks very musically um so it hadn't occurred to me to view it in that way but that's almost it's like it gives me like a sort of an sort of an editorial something to look for you know like is it because sometimes you know how it is like you're editing and, and you're looking and you can't see exactly what's wrong with it so that's that's immensely helpful oh wow cool and then i also that you know i didn't even really think about it like this necessarily but i do definitely always think of the rhythm with that as well that it, you know the, the danger with writing to like say like a single beat through a whole book or a rough draft is that you may not unless it's like four on the floor right boom 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 unless it's that kind of beat you when you go back to reread it you may not remember what beat you were writing it to so if you're writing into like let's say like a jazz beat right which is an odd idea but tony morrison actually has a book called jazz that she claims she wanted the writing to sound and feel like the rhythm of jazz right so so it's and i'm a totally underst- i totally understand what she means by that so th- there is some danger when you go out a little too far and you come back a month later and you don't remember that like freaking, you know, three, four beat or whatever you were like playing or writing to. And you're like, oh, this is clunky. This is a mess. There's no rhythm. And there it's just you just don't remember the beat. Right. But then I feel like most thrillers are four on the floor and most rock songs or mo- most songs that we all love are four on the floor also. So I'm definitely aware of. Yeah. that. Mm. And that single note throughout. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I write disco novels, but (laughs) (laughs) I would read that, Josh, if you if you wrote disco novels, I would read that novel. It's really it's uh, yep, a lot of cocaine in here. Yep, a lot of bright lights, and I've been talking a lot. (laughs) I haven't written any, but I'm going to. an accurate description. <laughs> well, yeah, your, think... your your last book was Unbury Robin Gibb. 
pick to the trail. And, and there's oh man, wow. Donna Summers, before Donna Summers gets buried alive. <laughs> really, it's really fairly extraordinary what I'm working on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's becoming more and more so. <laughs> I I do think that that was a good uh, a good lead into Mallory though, as far as like the yeah the one note because that, I mean that makes sense to me with the level of tension you know, that that held. It was like, you're right. It's like the note started at the, on the first page and that tension just held all the way through. I mean, it's like, so I had written a draft of Mallory that I, I don't want to say like I intentionally wanted it to be different, but I'm just also aware of not necessarily writing the same book twice, you know, just, I don't know, not, not to a fault. I'm not over here trying to be Mr. Original or Mr. Laffy Taffy, you know, I want to like, I, wanna, I don't even know what the fuck that meant. but i do know that like i just didn't want to write the same thing twice and when i was done with that draft my agent read it and then she was like um you know it it is okay for mallory to feel like bird box and it's like that's all it took and i was like man shit you're right it doesn't mean it has to be the same book you're right and so i rewrote um uh, another draft with that in mind that it was not only was it like, is it okay? But maybe it even should be uh, match up with the same similar mood and atmosphere and colors and and notes on the organ, right? So, so I was definitely aware of that, but not at first. At first, I was like, I, I have a whole I have a whole version of Mallory sitting in this office that, like, I guess would never see the light of day. But it, it's 350 pages or something, and then it's just scratched it af- at the end of it because I didn't feel it had. Um, it had those things that you and I are talking about right now. I, I didn't feel like it had those. Well, it sounds like you have a really good, that you and your agent have a really good rapport on that too, though, because, you know, for her to be able to pick up that that is what she felt like was missing and for that to be such a good, you know, impetus for you to to do that, that just sounds like really good teamwork. Yeah. And she's like, she's kind of one of those people that like cannot stop from saying what she really thinks. And that's like, <laughs> so useful on the business side, you know, and on yeah, the yeah. side, sometimes you're like, am I, when I go to jail, if I strangle her, you know, <laughs> that, like, <laughs> or there's, there's some sort of like reprieve here. No, but she's, she's like, yeah, she's, I, she's such a straight shooter. And when I'm talking to her and she said that, and I'm like, ah, you're right. And, and that, that was all it took. And I, and then I dedicated the book to her for that reason, for that exact reason. I was like, because of that conversation, I sent you this book, and you were like, "This is good, but this isn't this isn't Mallory." And I'm like, "Ah, you're right." And I knew it. I felt it too. It's like 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 being on like a like a sports team or something. You just didn't have your 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 stuff. Like you played the whole game, but you just didn't have your stuff. You know. You have a good sense though of your own of your own craft. I think for her to be able to say something like that and you to look at it and go, "Yeah, you're right," and fix it rather than let the ego blast get in your way and say, no, fuck you. I just wrote 350 pages. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> you know what? I, I think Shane, that that's one of the benefits of being what I have, what I now use as like a proper noun almost. It's one of the benefits of being a prolific is that if you, you, if you, it's not as daunting, the idea of writing the same book a number of times, uh, meaning literally the same book a number of times, because 
it's like, all right, I spent three weeks. It was like a total furious, you know, uh, sweat lodge in here of, of just like 5,000 words a day. And right. And if I didn't nail it, all right, all right, let's take a couple, let's take a couple days and let's go try another one because I was probably going to write like another or a different book or a different story anyway in those few days. So that I think one of the benefits of being a prolific is is being able to readily dismiss something that you don't feel is up to snuff because you have the energy or the ideas for the next for another one. Yeah, uh, that makes sense because and I didn't I actually learned that from you with that psychotic carpenter's farm trip <laughs> we went on. <laughs> that it's like okay now if I don't like something I just shove it aside and go on to the next thing or rewrite it entirely but i wouldn't have that courage if i didn't know that i could actually do that without losing a whole chunk of my soul yeah right and that's and that comes back to the prolific um doesn't doesn't feel the um that it's necessary to fully express him or or, or herself in the one book they're writing because it's not the one book of their life yeah. So, so you don't, it, so you don't, and I have like, you know, a lot of people's first book, I think the reason that the first book is, is the hardest is because it's the only, and the spotlight, it's literally the only thing book you've written so far, and the full spotlight is upon it. And so you feel like I need to show how smart I am. I need to show how well read I am. I need to show my amazing worldview. And if I don't have a good worldview, then this book sucks. And you start spiraling out of control. And then you realize that at some point when you start book two, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I, I didn't have to say it all there. I could have just been talking about um, how I feel about dogs in book one. And book two is relationships. And book three is maybe it's motherhood, whatever it is. And then you realize that it's the whole canon, the whole body of work that represents you, not a single book. Yeah. Go ahead, Rich. I was just going to say, you know, that's a really interesting point and kind of building off that because you've been in both worlds, how you kind of say like with the book, you put kind of a lot of pressure on the first one. And then like with the second one, it's a little bit easier. But I know there's like a common thing in music. And I this isn't necessarily from a musician standpoint, because I'm not one. But just what I've heard is that it's almost kind of like the opposite, like the debut is kind of a little bit easier because you have all this time to kind of perfect it. And then like the hardship kind of sets in with like the sophomore album, because now, you know, depending on how you're debut album does now you have those expectations a tighter window and i was just curious as someone who's been on both sides of the process like maybe for you or just in general does it feel kind of the same or do you feel that it's kind of accurate whereas like with music you know it's a little bit different where you can kind of hone it and then like you know you might get kind of that doubt like around the sophomore album versus with the books yeah i have never been asked that question before and and i i i'm gonna answer what i think i what i think i feel is is true but i'm not i may have to think more on this but i i will say this for sure the the reason that it's not just honing it that first album right it's it's that to get to the point where you are in a studio and you're like, you know, and you're not just recording maybe on your phone or whatever, like we did for years, you know, that kind of stuff like that. You've probably written, if you're prolific at all, you've written, you know, on like 
I don't know, 20, 30 songs by then, something like that, right? And yeah. so you can choose the best. You have like a be- you're, a, a lot of bands' first albums are the best of their early days. And, and it's just it, because it, it's like we have these 30 songs. Oh, my gosh, we have studio time in a real studio. Well, which 10 or 12 are we going to record? Obviously this batch. Well, then a year and, and you were together for, let's say, three, four years then, right? So then the next album, you want to come out like a year later. Well, how many songs do you write in a year? Oh, about 12. So now you went from choosing between like 30 and 40 songs. Now you're using every single one you write. And so for sure, that that kind of thing, I feel like that is definitely harder in music. But I also, um, what's the right phrase? I, I think that me and the, um, uh, definitely the other songwriter in the High Strung, Mark Owen, him and I have the same like sort of prolifics attitude toward music that I do towards books, which is like, okay, I mean, whatever. This is the next 12. Let's roll. You know, this is the next 12. I mean, if it's, you know, if it's a dip, then we had a dip. Great. That dip will look romantic if we come back up after this one, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this dip will be so interesting. <laughs> it's, called, it's called a nuance. Right? Yeah. This, this dip is going to fucking look intentional if the third batch is amazing. <laughs> no, that that makes perfect sense. And I've, I've always been curious to, you know, ask uh, somebody that, like, I... I used to do music reviews, but I never had the chance to, you know, talk to a musician about that. And especially kind of like with books, you know, kind of the difference between the two and to see if, you know, that was even accurate. It's kind of like one of those common, common things, you know, like they always warn of like the sophomore slump. That's like, you know, the yeah. big music curse. But we, the high strung, were prolific enough that. Even our second album had songs from that initial um, burst also. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so I would probably say maybe, I don't know, like a third of them or something like that. In other words, in other words, we, um, yeah, we had more to choose from because there were more more written. And it, and it took us a while before we ended up like in a, in a real studio or something. But it does get hard. But I also, I don't know, I also feel like. Like recently we've been working on an album that's kind of like an anything goes and we want it to be like 40 songs and that. And you could look at that whole thing I was just saying about a whole career of 40 novels versus one novel. You can look at an album that way, too, in and of itself, like 40 songs and there's no spotlight on one. It's the spotlight on the 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 tapestry of the 40 of them together. Right. So. So I feel like you could you could that philosophy can translate to more than just and maybe even like an epic novel. If you throw in like like I like kitchen sink novels, you know, where it becomes less about some, um, you know, what I call bullet thriller, where it's just like such a straight, like perfect thriller. I like the meandering. I like the jamming. I like the Grateful Dead, you know, uh, novel, you know. I like I like that it can go a million places. And and even if I get bored for a while, I don't care. In the end, there's like an overall impression or feeling or something and i think that's all right from an album too i like the whole the overall impression of none of it being like the end of the road you know because i think you're so right about so much pressure being on a first novel and in particular like you know when someone's trying to market that and they're getting reviews or something i feel like it probably feels a lot more intense and and it's harder to get your head around the idea that not every book is for every person because you know once you start writing more you're like hey 
not every book is for every person, but I have a bunch of books, you know? And And yeah, yeah, yes. And it's almost this like warm feeling. Like, you know how like, you know, when you're having a mature thought, (laughs) 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 I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm but I'm very aware when that happens. I am too. <laughs> and one of them, <laughs> Jesus, one of them happens to be, hey man, like not every book is for everybody. Just for never, I, I'm laughing too hard now. But that, that really is one of them. It's like this warm feeling of like, dude, not everyone's gonna like it. Great, okay, yeah, I'm Barry Carroll is a weird book. Not everyone's supposed to like. It. Let's move on. And then, like, you know, Unbury Carroll is still one of my favorites I've done, so let's just move on. And then there's 32 whatever more in this office right now, you know? And then you, you've got four and a half in yours, you know? So it's like, yeah, it really comes down to, and I, and I actually feel like this is one of the, like, main culprits for how um, fiery and angry social media can be, is this sense of if you don't have a number of outlets – and let, let, let's say for a second you don't have any books or songs at all. You're not an artist at all. But Twitter or Facebook is a way for you to express yourself. So every post or tweet feels like you must express yourself in full because you don't have the outlets that we have in this conversation. Like I can I can just make a joke here or, or, or get angry for a second here or not here or whatever because – the stuff that I really want to say and express or whatever is happening in a bunch of novels and songs. And so social media to me is a much looser place. If you don't have another outlet at all to speak out your mind and then like all of a sudden like everyone in the world has these, right? I, I think that's part of the culprit for why um, why there's so much rancor online because it, it's just everyone's so keyed up. Like I'm, I need to say what I think about this. And like, okay, yeah, but... It's also, and here's a mature thought, it's also like it's okay to like it doesn't all have to be at once. It doesn't all have to be expressed. All your anger, all your rage, all your, uh, I guess you could say all your joy, but who cares if somebody overjoys? That sounds amazing. Yeah. But like, I, I, you know, and I now translate that to books. Um, so if you haven't written one yet, yeah, there's that sense. I see it in my friends who are trying to write that first novel. There's just this sense of, like they I can tell that they're trying to squeeze their entire worldview in, into one story. So. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I'm, 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 I'm uh, working on my first novel. So, you know. but, <laughs> this is a tradition, Shane. This is what this is all about. Actually. <laughs> I, my advice to a first novelist like in for real might be something like like just like let it be flippant and that doesn't mean not serious but let it or even write it write it from the point of view of someone who doesn't think like you at all because then then you don't have to worry about you know your i mean you know like expressing yourself because you're expressing this person or something like yeah that first one can be a doozy man i i went through i took 10 years of quote-unquote failing to write one i wrote Let's see, George Wax, Man of Wax, Moxie Bravo, Asylum Maid. These are all books that were unfinished. Uh, one of them even crested 300 pages. Oh, my God. Like, again, all I got to do, it's in the crate. All I got to do is go type the end on that one, and that one counts now. So I guess now I have 33 books. <laughs> but I failed at it until finally, oh, my God, no, I'm totally right. Okay, because 
because this is amazing. All right. I never realized this before because so I failed for 10 years and then I, I said to myself, maybe if I write two books at once, I'll finish them because when I get stuck in one, I'll go to the other one. And when I get stuck in there, I'll go back. This was my big idea. Right. And I don't think what I realized what was really going on was that I was saying to myself, if you do two books, neither of them are solely under that spotlight. So I sat down to write two. I made it through like a few pages of one, turned to the other one and just exploded through it, always knowing that if I ever get stuck, I can go to back to that first one. See what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Like yeah. you can uh, the um it's almost like a uh, psychological um what do you call it in, in bowling when the bumpers come up? What, what bumper bowling, whatever. It's almost like the gutters. The gutters are like where I filled the gutters with pillows, right? Like where if I went off track, like it was okay because there's this other story, which I never was going to write, I realize now. But it made me feel like there was less of a spotlight on the one that I did. And that's the first one that I finished. That is interesting to me now. It is to me, too, because it really, when you say it that way, it's like, okay, so this other story that I am supposed to be working on can actually be used to take pressure off of the story that I'm actually working on. (laughs) Yes, yeah, it's like fooling you. It's like totally fooling yourself. But I mean, what about writing isn't right? Like when you're like, oh, man, those that there's that in in every novel, every novelist I talk to, there's that out to sea stretch that like 40, 50,000 word moment where you're like, oh, I oh, I don't know how to write. I I'm dumb. I'm a, I should have been a frat guy. I I I, started, I accidentally started acting like an artist, but like, and all my friends are like, no, Biff is gonna come back. You know, Biff <laughs> soon. But he's writing books for like thirty years, but your real home is at the country club, Biff. You know, and it's like it's like like everyone else can see that I'm a frat guy except me. You know, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens at about forty-five thousand words every time, man. <laughs> I was like, I, I was thinking today, like, you know, I've gotten a couple of really cool things happen, you know, lately. But my initial first instinct, whenever I get like some, you know, some cool email or something, I'm always like, <sighs> like I'm going back into the shadows. <laughs> like, fuck this. I don't know what's going on here. It's all a scam. Like, this is, a, you know, this. We're all gonna wake up and realize that it was a big long joke for the last however many years. <laughs> Yeah, I got it. I know. I know. And then I read this article that my agent actually posted that said um, how dangerous it how dangerous it is to um, what was the right word? Like something like to find your to find your identity solely in your work or something. Right. Like to the point, like meaning like, um, you know, if you're not writing it, hey, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you're like a bad person or or that you suck or this or that. That it's very dangerous to twin your self-worth with what you're producing. The thing is, though, I I think I have done that thing, that very thing. And I think that um, it's been good for me. So meaning that like I all the pratfalls that that article said, like you are going to loathe yourself you're gonna feel guilty you're gonna feel this and then you're right all those things happen and you know what happened i ended up writing another book because of it and then another one and another one and another one and it's like it's like what why why not have where else find your identity than in your like artistic achievements 
where you're actually expressing yourself and talking about yourself and inadvertently talking about everything you're interested in. And if I write a scary novel, this is what I think is scary. And if there's a love scene, this is how I see love and blah, blah, blah. Like, why wouldn't I count this? I think that the real danger that that author was talking about is like, is like um, in that scenario, writer's block would be an identity crisis, like a literal identity crisis. Because if you're right, obviously, if you're seeing, if you're discovering yourself and, and, and valuing yourself entirely by your output, oh boy, if you get stuck, right? I mean, that's just like asking for like a psychotic breakdown. But luckily, I don't believe in writer's block. I don't either. <laughs> I, I, I totally see getting stuck. I do. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that's when you turn your attention yeah. to something else or you just... You know, well, and it's, you know, it's not just to like an identity crisis of that if, if you're, if you somehow get stunted on your output, but if you're also identifying yourself with other people's perception of your work, that, that can be incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. That, that to me is like an absolute, like, that's like the swamp of despair out there. I don't, I mean, <laughs> no lie. That drowning from the never ending story. That, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Artax, no. Hey, I don't want. I don't want to head out there, man. Um, but I mean, I can. No, no, yeah. That scary you, shit, man. I don't even. I haven't even been on Goodreads in three years. I don't think two or three I, years. I think that's wise. But but I mean, but I also think that it's one of those things where it's like I feel like somebody should teach these things to new writers. Like we should have a little workshop. You know, where where people can like hear that and understand it and then just be like, okay, yeah, your you know, your first couple of bad ones that you read are gonna kind of kick you in the gut and you're gonna feel bad. Go do something nice and then stop reading Goodreads, you know. Right. I, I think the first I, th- I think the first couple bad ones you read, you're like you're like sharpening knives, you're like you're like, <laughs> like you're like, do I, I I somebody has to die here, either the whole world or you. <laughs> So we have this guy that we were uh, talking to about the fact we're going to talk to you about Mailerman, and he wanted to butt in, so I just brought him in. Uh, John, <laughs> how are you? Hello. Oh, man, hello. <laughs> how are you? Excellent, man. Yes, it says live, John D. Taff. Uh, Hi. Nice. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Um. <laughs> Talking a mile a minute about I find about placing too much identity or not in um in, in valuing yourself in your output versus you know having an idea of yourself and then you write you know as well or on top of that it's 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 determining your entire identity by what you by your output what you write your artistic accomplishments and I'm of a mind John welcome to this conversation. I'm of a mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, that that's okay that that's and i'm that's a dangerous tightrope that i am willing to walk in and i think it's okay to put all my identity um how i see myself in what i produce and i understand that one day that could be very dangerous but right now it, it gets me writing a like a, a book or two you know or three every year what right. do you think about that yeah i think you know i think when you create stuff um 
probably a little bit more than a nine to five job. I think you tend to pour more of yourself into it unless you've got a nine to five that you really, really like, um, which I suppose is possible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to put a lot of my, uh, put a lot of my, I don't want to say self-worth, but, uh, who I think I am as a person, I, I tend to get a lot of that out of my, my writing. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But then I say, why not? It's like, it's well, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is like something to be proud of. It's the thing that makes us who we are, I think. Yes. And literally and not always, but at least scraps and pieces of your worldview right. are in your actual books. Right. So exactly. Literally your identity in the books. But I under, I under I was on a panel recently with this dude who was like, guilt is no motivation for writing and i was like i do not agree with that man yeah i don't agree with that either <laughs> and, and i don't on panels it's like i typically don't disagree unless i'm like really like no and i right. slow motion jumped across the room at <laughs> oh, was amazing motivation <laughs> you know just just about anything if you use it correctly is a motivation Yes, I agree. I agree. But guilt's a great one. <laughs> guilt's a good one, man. Yeah, I know. I know guilt very, very well. I heard. I don't know if everyone knows this, but one time a friend told me that uh, the difference between Catholic guilt and Jewish guilt is that Catholic guilt is for what you have done. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's such a fine line between Judaism and Catholicism. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you're right. I've I've been able to rationalize everything I have done, and I'm horribly burdened by the stuff that I haven't. That is interesting. <laughs> I am too, now that I think about it. And I'm not Jewish or Catholic. I'm total fucking heathen. Yeah, well, cheers to that. There you go. <laughs> I'm not Catholic anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we all <laughs> disclaimer. That, that sailed right out the window. Yeah, it's almost like we've almost reached an era or or something where I'm always where I'm almost like surprised when I meet someone that's religious. It's almost like become like bizarrely refreshing. I'm like, oh, shit, you believe in something? Like yeah. this? really? Like it's almost right. like I'm full circle in my life where now like I want to like Meet someone like that more than ever or something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, you have faith. Haven't you ever been screwed over by someone? <laughs> right. right. You're like, well, you're an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> so what else are you guys talking about? Well, we're that talking I about... In on. I don't know. We're talking about Laurel right now, though. That's why she's laughing. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> she, she... We weren't talking about me. <laughs> 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 oh no, Shane! <laughs> I'm I'm shutting up now. <laughs> but no, John, we were we were talking about a couple different things, and uh, two kind of like I asked Josh about, you know, like the difference between because he had mentioned about, you know, like if you're writing, you know, the more you do, the less it takes the spotlight off, and then we kind of like tied that into music and stuff like that. But um, one thing I wanted to mention to you, Josh, is uh that I really loved about Mallory in particular is kind of just the way you explored like the familial dynamics in that story. And, you know, it's happened in a couple of other 
stories of yours, but I found it interesting, you know, there's different kinds of relationships, but that like your last two projects, Carpenter's Farm and Mallory, you know, there's such a heavy focus on, you know, relationships. And I thought that was really interesting. And uh, I didn't know if, you know, that was something you had planned that, you know, it just happened to sync up that way. Well, it, uh, God, that's cool that you're saying that, man, because I'm glad you noticed. Thank you. I brought this up with my manager, Ryan, recently that I feel like for much of my writing life so far, I've been um, scenario driven first. And and I have a lot to say about that. I don't I don't want that. We don't have to go through all that right now. But but I, I do um, value the scenario um, almost over over anything, over character development, over plot pacing. I'm just a huge fan of like, um, I don't know, just like a, a cool conceit, a cool setup. Right. Mm-hmm. But something happened with Carpenter's Farm while I was writing it. And maybe it was because it was live and or as live as it can get. Um, and whatnot that I had this sense of, or maybe it was because it was a group of friends and, um, I myself had dealt with, um, uh, a relationship. I stood, I've stood close to a relationship that was like Oliver and Donna's, which was just absolutely horrific. And, and so I found myself writing about them and knowing that, that dynamic and knowing the dynamic of the friends experiencing it. Right. So, all of a sudden, I called Ryan and I'm like, man, I'm I'm having like more. Well, it was with it was with Mallory too. I'm having, I'm finding that I'm caring more about the characters in this scenario than the scenario themselves. And this this it's been about like the last few books I wrote. So for you to have said that right now means a lot to me. I was talking to my manager about that very thing recently. I, I've I've it's not like intentional. But it's it's I can't imagine turning my back on that now. It's one of those things where like now that I've seen the warmth that you can mine in a story there, I, I can't imagine not trying to find that in every story going forward. You know, I think it's funny that you say that because I've I can sort of see that a little, but I've always thought that your stuff is very uh very hip to the characters in the story that, you know, I think that there are some people that do that do go overboard on the setup and you can, you can sort of see it because you don't see a lot of character growth or you can't really relate to the characters on the page because it's also focused on what's happening. But I've never had that. I've never had that impression with you, Josh. No, that's always the first thing that always gets me with any Mailerman book or Mailerman book. I I always say your name wrong. I apologize, but um um but uh i always i always identify with the characters before i identify with the settings or the scenarios so i agree with john on that front well thank you both but then okay but now now let me defend scenario for a second (laughs) (laughs) because because, like let's check out like for example like the twilight zone right which is Arguably the greatest show of all time. And we all say that and 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 it's true. But meanwhile, who do we what character in the Twilight Zone do we relate to most? We relate to Rod Serling most. We relate right. to the <laughs> host of this show. You never walk away from an episode of the Twilight Zone gutted. You never walk away crying. You never walk away you walk away saying, 
fuck, that was cool. Right. What about yep. this one? This one where the guy does this. This one where the mom says, the, or the mom does it, where the grandma calls a grave, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're all justifiably and rightly um, fans of character. And, and often you'll see, you can't have a good story without character, this kind of thing. But the greatest show of all time is absolutely scenario-based first. Yep, you're right about that. But the thing is, though, that what it has is Rod Sterling, and we can't forget that. So it would be like like Philip K. Dick, maybe. So let's mm-hmm. say reading a Philip K. Dick book or Harlan Ellison where, like, the writer is such a character that that, like, you're not just reading – Philip K. Dick's book, you're also thinking about him while you're reading it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that maybe, so so in a bizarre way that comes back to character, and that the character in this case is almost like a meta version, which is the author or mm-hmm. host, Rod Serling himself. But yeah, so either way, thank you for saying what you said, and I, I love, you know, Carol's probably my, my favorite of mine so far, or Goblin, but then, but then there was something that happened recently where, where I just noticed it. That's all. Like like Rich said, I like noticed it myself. Well, and I think that I mean I think that's an interesting way to look at it because yeah, I'm I mean I'm with Shane and John. I I didn't I never felt like there was anything lacking in character. You know, in Bird Box, I I connected a whole lot with Mallory. There was so much going on there for her. And I feel like the way that it was set up, you know, created the necessity for Mallory's story to continue. And that the continuation of it, you know, was her character, was her having to internalize a lot of this stuff, you know, and it just became I I just think that sort of set the stage for it. So it's interesting that you that that was sort of something that was just to turn around in your mind recently. Mm -hmm. Or or maybe it's like we were talking before, maybe it's a one of those mature thoughts, right? (laughs) 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 I just noticed it finally, like, oh, shit, there's characters in these books. Oh, yeah, John. That was our primary conversation was mature thoughts, how much we well, are. I don't know why you call me have that. one. I mean, <laughs> Welcome. No, you fit right in. They're very rare. They're so rare. They're, they're like, mar- you know, remarkable. Like, hey, I, hey, was, yeah. I thought I had a mature thought today, Allison. You know? <laughs> well, I called you because it's kind of a birds of a feather thing, John. It's like, shit. Talk yeah. about immature thoughts. Let's call yeah, John. Yeah. <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> I do oh, I live that. with that. What am I talking yeah, about? Yeah, what are you? <laughs> I just want that trademarked by the end of the episode. Mature thought TM. <laughs> <laughs> That's our episode title, huh? Mature thoughts. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> So, Josh, let's talk about Mallory. Okay. Let's talk about Mallory as a as a parent. As a parent, is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, she's she's an interesting contradiction of par- parental types to me. All right, hit me. Well, I mean, on the one hand, she's desperately, desperately cares for those kids. And will obviously do anything to to keep them safe. I don't want to go too far, you know, too deep because spoiler alert. But um, she also, though, could be viewed, and I, I don't know how to say this without it coming out sounding just totally wrong because I said it earlier and it felt like not what I really mean, but she also could be viewed as an abusive parent. Oh, for sure. 
Oh yeah, I mean, Bird Box opens the very the very first scene. She has these kids locked in her chicken wire cribs with like you know cloth <laughs> hanging over it, and she's yeah. in the kitchen like tapping her toe, like like freaking out whether or not she should make a run for it. And if I didn't know better, I'd be like, wow, this is gonna be like the girl next door, but with like little kids or something. This is about to, <laughs> yeah. this is about to be the most abusive <laughs> novel of all time. Um, yes, and I there is even almost. Just this little dash where, where sometimes I wonder, and not not she would not, there, nothing would ever come before the the safety of these kids. But I do wonder sometimes if there's a little, just a little piece of Mallory that also the thing she wants most is to survive these creatures, like to beat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just enough of that where it's like, you know, because they're in both books it mentions like if if that kid was gonna if if Tom went crazy right now then that's it. He's gone. Like, I would still not take off my blindfold. If Tom took off his fold right now and saw something and lost mm-hmm. his mind, I would not take off mine in the hopes of grabbing him or stopping him from hurting mm-hmm. himself, whatever. And, well, it also makes sense, though, because if she did, then she would be useless to him because she would be crazy or something, too. But that is interesting, though, to me that that came up in both books. It's like, I'm going to do everything for you two little shits, but unless you go mad. <laughs> yeah. if, you be, if you become a threat to me, then. <laughs> right. right. I'm going to do everything. I love you guys so much. You better listen to every word I say. Or I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm getting you to the wolves. I love you so much. You're fucking dead if you disobey me. <laughs> yeah. That kind of—I don't know why, but that all made Mallory sound kind of hot. I don't even know why. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never really thought of her that way. I almost feel like because I have the book right next to me, I feel like she's looking at me like, "What? <laughs> Shut up, dude!" Fuck? <laughs> right now, she's like, "That was weird, man." <laughs> you had to make you it are. weird. Have you long, have you long harbored these fantasies about overly abusive parents with blindfolds? <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite subgenre. <laughs> fantasies. I also like being tied to a piano and not fed anything and have to pee my pants. That's another. That's another yeah, that's that's a favorite pastime of mine too. The pat across the stomach, no food for two days. That's another one. <laughs> a glass of salt water sitting on the piano, nothing else. <laughs> oh lord, taking a turn. <laughs> for the better. More like a straight downward dive. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. My face hurts right now. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Somebody save this conversation. I was trying to. Be well, serious. well, okay. I think that I I can at least. I, I, okay. So, but then in Mallory, though. Okay. So to maintain any sense of I don't want to say realism necessarily, she has to be a little bit crazy. By the time the book Mallory opened, or by the time they're at that camp, because that's 17 years in this world now, 17, right, right, and right. we're we're experiencing something right now, and I I'm very hesitant to make parallels between the bad scare, which is you know reality, with the good scare, which is fiction, but but I mean there is a debate in Mallory about whether people should wear a mask, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Imagine yeah. 17 years into, you know, still running into people that don't live by the blindfold, mm-hmm. that don't live by the mask. 17 years in. How could you not be a little bit crazy, right? So I, there's some elements of Mallory where I feel like, <clears throat> what's the right word? It's not like she's jaded or hardened, but it's like she her her reality is just so so direct. Like I have like we we know the fold works. Like we have to wear the blindfold. There is less chance of trouble if we're all in the same cabin, despite mm-hmm. there six, eight, nine cabins here. We we all can easily remember now how to walk from one to the other, but a rope helps us and we can move faster. So all these precautions stay in place. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tom who um who kind of like his namesake Tom but Tom the 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 son he um he's like someone who grew up in this world so it's not as jarring to him and he's like hey let's improve this world where she's like no 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 this is all we need Tom Tom is saying I can in, like let's re- equate it to the modern world Tom is saying hey listen I can uh, I think that I can come up with like a ventilator that we all wear a transparent ventilator that's like mm-hmm. less destructive than like a face mask. And Mallory is saying, Tom, we know the face mask works. We don't need to make any progress on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny that you segued into that because one thing I thought of was uh, I think it was the last time we had you on where you talked a little bit about Mallory and you described it as, you know, it's kind of the continuation of her story. And, you know, you know, it's called Mallory, but like when I, when I read it, even knowing that and then going into it, like, I almost feel like, you know, it is Mallory's story, but I feel like it's also just as much about, you know, Tom and Olympia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They definitely split screen screen time in this one. Um, no doubt. Uh, and that started to become intentional, as the writers in the room will will know in their own books. It started to become like an intentional thing, like, OK, I just spent time with Mallory. Now now I want to return to Tom. Now I want to return to Mallory. Now I want to return to Olympia, you know. And at some point, it did start to feel like I was writing about um, that there wasn't a, a main character. Right. But it's also like both of them are hyper uh, re- reflective of of her of her mm-hmm. i mean yeah. she raised them in an absolutely abysmal and horrific scenario and they both seem like fairly happy people tom and olympia so that says something to me about mallory as well and I, i'm not even just trying to rationalize that it really does and no, like i think you're right i mean the stuff uh, with the kids is almost more of a comment on Mallory as a character than it is about themselves. Yeah. That's what I got. I mean, a lot of it is reaction to stuff that she's doing or has done. So it's, it's like they're when they show up in the story, when you're getting more of their viewpoint, it's more of a view of how they think and feel about their mother. Yeah. 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 Um, for sure. And and Tom's a little bit at wit's end, but then also like always Mm -hmm. living to her. Like, like he, you know, he's not like the ultimate, punk teenager who was like yeah fuck you he's like he's like he's like like, oh god mom and then it's like he's quiet has his eyes closed he's she grabs his wrist i mean he still listens to her Mm -hmm. i mean it's really like all he's ever known is her and that and that's and that goes back to the (laughs) i'm not trying to turn anyone on here but that goes back to the abusive mom thing and 
and it's like um, Olympia, on the other hand, is like, well, I, I see she's harder to talk about in an interview because I just don't want to so want to give anything away about Olympia's story. So she's a little harder for me to talk about. Yeah. Because it's hard to talk about her without talking about her in full. So I'm just going to whatever. Maybe book three will be called Olympia. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's see, that's the funny thing is I was I was talking to Rich and Laurel earlier, speculating about that very thing about the potentials of other characters in the book of eventually being their own protagonists in a story. What were you thinking? Because maybe I'll maybe that'll be book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would go for Olympia. I think I think there's a lot. You know, and without, yeah, there, there's so much to her story that would be that would be spoilers, but I, I would definitely, I just feel like there's a whole other world mm-hmm. in her head, you know, oh. in, in large part of the way that they, I, I thought it was so interesting the way that they, it's, it's like, you know, you had the one, they're the same age exactly, but you had the one who was somewhat rebellious, and then you've got the one who seems to identify so much with like, being the good one, you know, and listening to mom and, and acting like mom. And I just thought it was such a, just a microcosm of like, you know, just the normal debates you have with teenagers, just in this incredibly dangerous world. Yeah. Well, it helps that Olympia reads and Tom doesn't, you know, I mean, that that's, yeah. that's really what it is, is that Olympia reads books. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's the difference between the readers and the non-readers right there, man. <laughs> This is why if you want to be a writer, you have to read books, people. <laughs> and then I was thinking that a thousand, like I think it mentions that a thousand, there are a thousand books in the um, summer camp that mm-hmm. he has read. And then I was thinking like, that's not, a thousand isn't enough. Like a thousand sounds like a lot right now, but not if nah, you're nah. in one. Not if you got nothing to do. Right. Now when you have nothing else to do. Right. Nowhere else. You can't even look out the freaking window. <laughs> <laughs> really when you think about you know when you start breaking down the specifics of the universe the bird box slash mallory universe the world itself as a concept suddenly becomes torturously boring when you think about what kind of life you'd be oh living. yeah i know i know that's why I've, I've never seen either of the books as quote-unquote like end times novel and and here's here's why there's there's almost no mention, I don't think there's any in Mallory, of like the government, of government ineptitude, mm-hmm. of uh, government success, nothing. Like, in right. fact, I don't even know if any government's mentioned whatsoever in Mallory. I just don't know. I just can't think of it. And in Bird Box, almost not at all, if at all. And so to me, it's never really, because it, 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 it just doesn't feel like the apocalypse to me. It seems, it feels to me more of a... Um, uh, what do you call that? Like a tra- like a tragedy, uh, um, like an emergency, you know, like like mm-hmm. like something that I I imagine that they would uh, everyone would one day get to the other side. I like to fantasize that, they, or how about this? I like to like pretend that there is a day in the future where there are, where the creatures are gone. Like mm-hmm. I I like to think of this as this was a moment in time where this happened, rather than the end of time. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's always I've always considered Bird Box more the monsters are due on Maple Street than you know the stand. I've always right. seen it more as like an isolated Twilight Zone episode, woman in a house, woman on a river, and that and now in this case you know woman uh, 
uh, in a train and a woman in like a, with, with her kids, whatever. But it's but an isolated right. phobic story. So yeah, yeah. Um, wow, what the that hell was, was that? That's awesome. That was child. Child. Yeah. That was not my child. So well, who's, whose well, child was that? Child. Well, Rich's mic went mute, so I'm guessing uh, it was. Oh, okay. The other small child. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Tiny didn't come in. There was no discussion of erotica or anything, so he wasn't interested. He's staying yeah. up. <laughs> I don't know, man. We talked about that whole abusive blindfolded mother thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> and really if you're, and if your son is interested in that conversation, I've got issues we need to talk about, Laurel. Yes, no, I, that's going to be one of those things. I put my fingers in my ear and pretend like that conversation just never happened. No. Right, it never happened. It's right up there with kissing his boo boo. <laughs> He's he uh. <laughs> He was in the bath and he, he said he had a boo boo and I was like oh where is it he, sh- he showed me <laughs> butthole and asked if Yikes. I declined Yikes. but then he laughed maniacally and I realized I had been punked uh, by my two year old <laughs> wow oh man I man I was about to make a joke like I'm gonna try that to Allison and then I was horribly gross that sounded yeah <laughs> I was like. No, no. Yeah, but now I said it anyway. <laughs> well, there's a real different relationship going on there, so you know. Just, yeah, exactly. It's uh, uh, man. Somebody's never mind. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> in Josh's isolation, he's tried some experiments that were questionable. <laughs> Who among us has not, though? Really? Right. <laughs> it's well and with that and I, I did I told the guys to please tell me if I got off on too much of a motherhood tangent because I, I that's my that's my new thing on I go on podcasts and give parenting advice to people younger than me it's fun but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do actually I will say one thing I, I especially feel like with Mallory that this whole debate of whether people who you know who have kids or don't have kids are allowed to have a say like Fuck yes, because you got completely, I feel like, so much inside the head of a mother, you know, dealing with yeah. – and I've, I've also – I've raised a teenager. I've got a stepson who's 25. Um, so I've kind of – you know, I've dealt with that whole, like, rebellious end of things and, and the you know, the safety mechanisms and keeping them safe versus, like, letting them kind of, like, grow a little bit. It was just so – just absolutely real. Like, so many of the internal debates she had, I was like, yep. You know, it was it was just very on point. You know, Mallory, uh, thank you for saying that. Mallory, for me, has always been, um, and I got to come up with the right word for this because it's not the easiest character. It's not the it's not the smoothest, but let's just say for now the smoothest. I just don't have a better word for this yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. But she's been the smoothest character for me to write so far in maybe maybe Smoke and Unburied Carol, maybe, maybe Camp and Goblin. But Mallory's like, she's, I don't know... It, I don't know really how to explain it. It feels like a twin sister. I've said that before, and I and I it it's how I see it. It's like I know it's just very easygoing with me. I don't I don't have to rewrite her almost at all. Um, I I don't really have to guide her along at all. I don't I don't have to really stop to think what she would do at all. Um, she's just very Tom and Olympia were obviously took more work for me, but her herself, I just I don't know what it is. I just, I get it, or I get her. 
I just get I think it. That there are those there are characters, characters that you find that just speak to you. They're, they almost they're alive, almost fully yeah. formed in your mind. I think I've run into those characters when I write. They're just incredibly easy to put down on a page. Yeah, and what a feeling, right, man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. When um all that stuff was happening with Bird Box the movie, I almost had this, and this could sound like a defense mechanism or something, but I almost had this sense of like, um, I was happy for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was like, man, look at look at you. Sandra Bullock's playing you in a movie, Mallory. Right. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, almost, I almost felt like, like you know, you guys are like, we need to go now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that it's yeah. that. I mean, that makes sense because it, it's the same sort of thing when, like, I, I have a friend I will not name because she'll be really annoyed at me. But I've been doing some beta reading for her. And, like, you know, when she started getting beta notes back from people, she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. They're telling me to cut shit and I don't want them to touch my characters. <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly it. You, yes. Yep. You're just like, you know what? This is for me. Fuck off. I'm, you know, don't, don't touch them. You don't know them. You don't know what they'd say. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck asked you? <laughs> Except for me specifically in an email. Yeah. <laughs> so I can, I can definitely see turning around on the other side and, and being happy for them. That, that, that actually makes total sense. And it just, it really feels like you are, you're just extremely connected with Mallory. Yeah. Um, yep. And then I didn't even realize, it, it took me this long for someone, and they were like, Mallory uh, is kind of like your last name, Mallerman. And I was like, wait, I never... Hold on. Like, I, don't, I don't think, does anyone really think of their own last name while they're writing a book? Like, the whole time, mm-hmm. like, Hightower, 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 right? So I just didn't really, like, think of that. And then I was like, Mallory, Mallory, yeah, that doesn't... And then, yeah, but that sister, not dating, just, you know, whatever. Right. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if John has a character named Taffany, then yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's probably not going to happen. Although, who knows? Uh, I, have, I have a I have a female character named after my grandfather, so you know, whatever. <laughs> Merle, Riley. Riley. <laughs> I might use Taffany now. I kind of yeah, love it. I like Taffany, yeah. Yeah, And then I also, and then, like, the, her friends can call her Taffy. Dude, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I like, um, yeah, and then it's, like, all attributed to John. I like this a lot, actually. Right, and now we're all the way right back around to Laffy Taffy. That's right, yeah. <laughs> the, the horror novel is called Unlaffy Taffy. <laughs> Very serious Taffy. <laughs> <laughs> humorless taffy well that's not true <laughs> no not you that's something <laughs> who's just playing the castanets there oh oh you heard that here i'll do it again ah well what is that i'm playing the castanets i'm dancing oh, <laughs> i didn't want to be so obvious about the camera that i have in your house but <laughs> Uh, actually, this is going to sound funny, but it's it's one of those chains that are connected to, like, a pen. Oh, yeah. Oh. You know what I mean? So that because I wrote down, Laffy. <laughs> <laughs> I did, too. <laughs> On your stolen bank pen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This pen. This pen just got out of the pen. This pen <laughs> broke out. And uh, I've been housing it for a while. I found it in the yard. It just kind of crawled up, <laughs> made it out of me. <laughs> Can we keep it? Can we keep it? <laughs> Allison raises ducks. I chain pens to my neck. 
are the ducks, by the way? Oh my god, amazing. Um ah. they're, Are they ever leaving? Or are they just permanently staying? The one let me just tell the story really fast in the smallest version. So Tuli, our Visla dog, she brought in three eggs. And not all at once, but she brought in three eggs. One was a little bit cracked, one was a little more cracked, and one wasn't cracked at all. This is not Goldilocks and the three eggs. <laughs> I, unless unless I'm Goldilocks, I guess. And then I I was like, oh, God. Because, you know, you hear, like, if, if someone brings bird eggs in, like, they're not ruined, but, like, the mother right. bird doesn't want them anymore or whatever. So I was like, all right. So I put them outside, like, in the middle of the yard, sort of. I'm like, I don't Yeah, I guess these are dead. And then Allison heard what I did. And meaning I told her, I guess. And then she <laughs> went and the I dogs did. One of the two. <laughs> I saw her holding one of the eggs, like staring at it for an extended period of time. I'm like, oh man, she's gonna, she's gonna try to hatch these eggs. But then, <clears throat> the one with the with the bigger crack, that egg, that one was dead. She determined, mm-hmm. so she bought a an incubator, and had the other two in it for weeks. And the one didn't make it, but the other one did. Uh-huh. So it comes out, and and it's amazing, and it sits on your lap while you're reading, and it like bites your fingers. <laughs> and it hurt at all and it tilts its head to look up into your eye and it's the oh my god it's so awesome and there's like a spirituality to this thing that's like like older than dogs or cats there's something going on with this that is like i don't know it like just sits there and it it sits there alone outside and stares at the sky or stares at the you know this pond whatever so then we discovered that ducks have to have friends so allison ordered by mail two more (laughs) And so two more ducks came in the mail, and those two, they're like the, the sisters. That's what we call them. The sisters don't do anything without each other. Right. But the first one does. And so we have, a, we have like this like lagoon-ish thing. It's probably a pond, but lagoon sounds so much cooler. We have this lagoon behind our house, and the duck flies freely out to it. Uh-huh. Is there for a number of hours, then just randomly flies back. Or I'll walk down to the edge there and be like, hey, man, come follow me, and I'll walk him back up to our yeah. house. And he comes in the house. So the sisters are a little more, are a little less personal and do right. their own thing. But that first duck, man, is like, I yeah, that first duck is. Here's the thing, though. When the whole goal was to like get it back to being able to like live in the wild, right? I mean, the uh-huh. goal wasn't like to hatch an egg and have a have a like a best friend duck, right? Right. Right. So, but the problem is that's what we want now. <laughs> now we <laughs> want the friend duck and it's showing signs of being able to acclimate in the wild <laughs> ah yeah oh. yeah so we're having allison's having a bit of a crisis about that what to do with this because she loves it right well it's always hard when they leave the nest well thank you john <laughs> <laughs> with the dad jokes <laughs> good one well that would be though that's I, I never thought about having that kind of a connection to a duck, but now I feel kind of attached to it too. Yep. <laughs> Damn it, Josh! This was not supposed to be about ducks, man. <laughs> Dude, you you were asking him for duck pics, man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> don't don't try to deny culpability here, man. I did ask him to send me duck pics. You're right about that. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Laurel. <laughs> 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 
All right. John, while I, while I have you here, I'm yes. gonna, I need to I need to like let you know in case the guys haven't told you that you're you're like inadvertently responsible for me writing short fiction. What? Yes. <laughs> in a bad way? Did you read no. one of my stories and say, God damn no. it, this guy can churn this shit out? I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> if no. he can do this shit, I can no. do it. <laughs> No, it was uh, it it was actually I was on I was on Ink Heist as a guest like in between while they were doing the deep dives into the fearing, mm-hmm. and when I, I think they I Shane or somebody asked me about whether I wrote short fiction I was like oh I just I you know I just don't think that's in my wheelhouse I don't think I can right and I think Shane asked you about that on your next episode and you're like you know what do you think about that and you're like fucking do it anyway and I was like yeah. well all right then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, it's well. I'm I'm humbled that you would say that. I'm I'm glad that that I would have that effect on your writing. I mean, that's that's really humbling. Um, you know, uh, particularly since you're so damn good at the other stuff that you've done. So, well, thank um, you. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, but uh, I think that a lot of people are scared about short stories. They don't need to be scared about short stories. Well, it it just felt it felt very challenging, um, you know, just to to compress that kind of story arc. Yeah, it um, it is, it, and yeah. it is challenging. I mean, that's that is the case, and uh, you know, but you, really, the only way you can do it is just jump in and and give it a try, and then keep keep at it. Yeah, yeah, and and just I, I don't know, it's it's kind of a confidence builder too, though. I mean, when you I mean, it was it was a sort of a self-limiting kind of mindset on right, it. It, right. it. It it is a different skill set, but that doesn't mean you know that it's something that you shouldn't try. So Not I, at all. I and you know, here's the thing: you might uh, I know plenty of people that write novels that don't like writing short stories. It's not a question of whether they can do it or not; they just don't like doing it. Um, Hi, everyone. And, and hello, hey. he's back. Hey, Josh. <laughs> But I think that, you know, the, the, the opposite is true, too. There's a lot of people that write short stories that don't like writing longer work. And that's fine, too. It's whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's short stories are, are kind of rewarding. You know, like they're they're much more instantaneously rewarding. I feel exactly. like. but right. No, uh, they are because you don't have to pour, you know, months and months and months and maybe a year or two into it. You can crank one out in a couple weeks or less and. I'll take your word for that. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, it's funny. Like, uh, it's like I'm cranking out this fucking novel compared to the short story I started writing three fucking months ago or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's because it's not actually a short story. Because it's like does not it does not want to be a short story. Right. Yeah, it's like how do you go? Okay, I'm gonna write three thousand words and stop. What? <laughs> I just have not figured that skill out. <laughs> well, you don't. You just write it all out and then you edit. <laughs> yeah, not this one, huh, Laurel? No. <laughs> no, I think you. I, I think it's always been a little harder for me. Short stories. I don't know why. I think I'm just like a wordier guy, or or like yeah. I just want a bigger like impression or something. I don't know. Like I, I don't. I feel like I don't. I, I don't in my just in my own little world. I yeah. don't feel like I've like like pulled off exactly like that one or somewhere. I'm like ah, I did it like that kind of thing. Quite. Right. But but I you know I'm gonna keep trying. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, like Shane had mentioned and, you know, even for myself, like it takes a while, but like, you know, granted, we probably don't do it as much as you guys. But uh, like John, he was pretty much like the template for like our fiction series, because like we did like a spontaneous short Mm -hmm. story type thing. And I asked him what a reasonable time frame would be. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting, I guess, like for Shane and myself, like I, I think like the stuff that I've done, like it takes me a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Not definitely not that long, but and I, I, I'd I like to say that 30 years is bragging, but it's really not. No, <laughs> it's not. 30 years is proof that practice doesn't make perfect as what it is. Ow, that's a burn. <laughs> I, I jest, and you know that. What? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody here knows how much I love your work. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, is that, Josh, is that something, have you, have you, tried writing short stories and it just doesn't appeal or no no i mean i've written uh, like okay it used to be um for years and years if there was a smaller idea it became a song and if there's a bigger idea it became a book and so a lot of high strung songs on this especially on this one album get the guests um and uh and and a couple albums after that as well were were like packed with what would be what could have been short stories right that's fascinating and, that's yes, yeah. and then yeah. at some point, I don't remember why, if, if, uh, someone, I think it was Doug Marano and D. Alexander Ward asked me if I had a story, a short story for them. And yeah. I had not written one yet. I mean, I tried some in high school. Like, seriously, that was it. So mm-hmm. I had like 13 novels and no short stories to my name. And and I was like, uh, yeah, I can get you one of those. And then I, that, it so <laughs> began... But realizing like this is a different world. I love it, mm-hmm. and and I'm and I'm proud of what I've done in it so far. But the novel's home. It's just home. Like recently, yeah. I wrote um uh, a screenplay, and you know uh, the people you know my manager likes it, and the, everyone seems to like it. But it's just the novel is just home. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, that makes sense. You know to. And I, I feel like that was that is how I have commonly felt about it. And then interestingly, in this whole quarantine process, I feel like I've not had the bandwidth to work on novels. Mm-hmm. I've I've banged out a few short stories because I feel like it's it's usually if I get an idea, it's the sort of thing I can typically do in a weekend. Um, and that's the only time I have to write anyways, is my right. son's nap times on the weekends. That's it. Um, and I just I, it's like I, I have ideas that I want to pursue it, you know, and I've I've been consistently writing novels for years and years, like I never stop. But I just I just right now I just don't think see I don't think I have the headspace for it. Right. For well, me, it was short stories. I started with short stories and just short stories are my home, really. And I like the novella because it's sort of the, you know, the weird child of the short story in the novel. Yeah, I love yeah. and. Yeah, the novella and horror especially because sometimes yeah. sometimes I think of like the scariest stories I've ever heard are like I'm at a party and I'm on the front porch like having a cigarette or something or beer and some guy I don't even know 
oh, you write uh, you write horror? And I'm like, yeah. And then he'll be like, yo, one time I was in my basement and <laughs> I, 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 I peered around the furnace at me. And then it, and then he'll be like, yeah, I got to go back in. And I'll be like, that's the scariest fucking story I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I have no idea who this guy is or his aunt or his house, but like, oh, that was it. That little glimpse. And so then it becomes, okay, how long can we maintain that? Mm-hmm. That what, what that guy just did to me, how long can we maintain that? Well, there's a real art to doing it in this short story because you don't have as much time for the, um, what's the right phrase, the, uh, becoming attached to characters, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But then the novel, that's a long time to maintain the mood that that right. guy put me in on the front porch. The novella, though. There it is. It's like that. Yep. Spot. You have the you have the mood that the dude gave me at the party. You have mm-hmm. room to meet and really fall in love with or become ingratiated with characters. Yeah, the novella. And I mean, obviously, there's, you know, uh, Peter Straub and, right. and everyone through the years like the novella is oof, sweet spot in horror. Yeah, yes. I'm really loving that that format these days. I've long been a fan of the novella as a form, um, especially we bring up Straub and I think of things like Julia, which I guess was more of a short novel, but. I haven't read that um, one. Uh, Julia? It's yeah. one of his earlier novels. And I think it's his first, actually, but I could be wrong about well, that. He had one that, John, do you ever read Marriages? No, I haven't read that one. That's an early one, too. Is that like it, it was that like pre-horror or something? You know what I mean? Was that like like a Yeah. Little... I think he was trying to find his voice and trying to find his feet and see what he, you know, was he going to go real literary or was he going to go, you know, literary horror or straight yeah. out horror? Yeah, dude. So recently I read um what's it called? Houses Without Doors. Oh my god, I love that book. Oh my <laughs> god, dude. Yeah. The you know yes. the sleeper in that one to me is that Guide to the City. Yes, yeah, oh, yes. God, is that genius, dude? It it reads at, like it reads as like a, a guide, literally a guide to it, like a travel brochure guide right. to the city. But but interspersed in there is the um, stats and updates on like a serial killer. In right. This <laughs> That's a great story. That, I love that. Oh, that that to me, that book is comfort food. I'll go back to that book when I just want to read something very comfortable. Man, what is the name of the first one with the guy in the movie theater and all that? Uh, uh, is that the juniper tree? I think so, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Oh man, that is yeah, that's rough. That's some heavy shit right there, man. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, what was the one with the guy who makes his uh, everything out of baby bottles? That was another one that was so weird. That one's totally crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, becomes. Hold yeah. on. No, I, I have it right here. Hold on. Is it Buffalo Bill? Was that what it was called, or was that? Or am I remembering something else? It is called. I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> the bottle one is. Yeah, the Buffalo Hunter. The Buffalo Hunter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a great book. I love that whole book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, I read it like you know a few months ago, even not mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Well, he's a good writer. <laughs> There's an understatement for you. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. Here. 
but I do I do have a fantasy and I and I do believe that I will pull this off. Like I I want to like I I, I know we all want to, but I want to write the monkey's paw. You know what I mean? I want right. I want that one. I want that one that's like in the canon in mm-hmm. in amber in 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 the in the history of horror. I want to do that. And, and and that may sound like oh yeah well, listen Josh you can't set out to do something like that well okay fuck <laughs> <laughs> well you know what it's a good thing that I like drinking too I mean whatever <laughs> but I do like I'm always looking for that one just that that simple classic you know and you're like oh there it is there it is that's the monkey spot you know and I I whatever I haven't found it yet not in a short story it's not it's not the easiest uh, format for me, but that's okay. I'm, uh, I'm you'll, you'll, I mean, I have total confidence that you'll do that. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have total confidence that you'll drink yourself to death when you fail at writing the monkey's pot. <laughs> yeah, that's more of a thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think. What happened? How did Mallerman die? Uh, he didn't write the monkey's pot. <laughs> uh, he, made, he tried to he tried to write the monkey's paw. <laughs> he died really? Is that how he that he just died? He just expired. Yeah. <laughs> Some things you just don't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, that one or like the lottery, right? Oh, well, that. Right. Oh yeah, dude, that one or or the yellow wallpaper oh, by oh, Gilman. Dude, dude. dude. That's that's that might be like number one right there. Yeah. That, well, wow. That's whoa. I want to read that again right now. It's a fucking killer story. Everybody should read that story. God. And I have such an embarrassing story about that in college. I don't know why I didn't read it for the class I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was about. And then I was in the class and the teacher called on me. <laughs> this was in college at Michigan State. And I hadn't read it. And she was like, Josh. And I'm like, uh oh. And then she was like, so do you think, you know, she was crazy, this was all in her head or whatever. And I, instead of nowadays, I would just be like, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't get to it, you know? Right. Like, I was like, um, no, no, I wouldn't say she's crazy. Um, I, I, I think that um, it's just, she's been through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like I was so embarrassed that I went and read it, and I'm like, this is like the best story I've ever read in my life. And I, I totally, oh, what a what a putz. <laughs> so I like I I keep thinking this is very true. Like I I don't I'm not great with symbolism. Like I'm learning, mm-hmm. but I'm I am incredibly literal minded. So the very first podcast I did, you know, they were asking me what my favorite you know, horror story of all time. And I'm like, oh, Haunting of Hill House, Shirley Jackson. And they're like, okay, great. Now, was there really a ghost or or was it in her head? And I look at them blankly like there's a fucking question about that. <laughs> like they said there was a ghost. I don't understand. <laughs> Who grabbed her hand if it wasn't a fucking, what are we, what are we talking about? And it's just like, I had read the story and right. I loved it deeply and it never fucking occurred to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any of this. 
could not be exactly what I was being told. I've had moments like that too, where I absolutely love something and then like had no idea that there was some right, conversation going on that, every, that everyone else in the world knew about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like their favorite part of it. I know. Right. <laughs> so, well, and I, I'll, I'll get, I want to do a, a quick other podcast shout out real quick to the Necronoma.com. Um, James Sabata, yeah. Don Guillory. Yes. This is one of these things like where, when they asked me to be on it, it's the Eastern like social social commentary movies, and I'm like, I'm not, I can't, what, you know, I, 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 I can't do that. I know, um, I'm, I'm and, no good, I'm no good in that arena really either. But go on, sorry. Well, and I I didn't I didn't think about it because I don't honestly think like in in those terms when I'm just watching a movie. But they're like, now just just pick a movie, you know, we'll come talk about it. And I picked The Eclipse, which is this beautiful Irish um, ghost story. If you haven't seen it, please do. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And second that. there was just yeah. so much to talk about. And and it was like one of those things where after we got done, I was like, I feel smarter. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I feel like I can do this. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's like when I'm I went on. Oh, sorry. When no, I went ahead. on, I researched the fuck out of that movie, even <laughs> though I'd seen it three times. I went in there. I went in there sounding like I knew what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, um, but I didn't. Machine. I did not actually know what I was talking about. I just had a lot of notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, had the, I ask Allison for a lot of that stuff. Like, even like I even ask Allison like, who the hell is that character? When I'm wa- like, when we're watching like a movie or something, I'll be like, wait, who is that? Is that the mom or the sister? You know, Josh. Right. But my mind is kind of. It's funny with novels. My mind does not wander. It just doesn't. Um, I'm like locked in. Beginning to end, but every movie I watch, or I, I'm like, who's that again? And the Josh, that's the lead character, you know? Dude, you know the one that I was, the one that really messed with my head was um, the Netflix Haunting of Hill House. Oh yeah, that was great. Some of those women look so similar to each oh, other. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, who the fuck is this one again? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going through that with with Dark right now because it that. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Super dense season three in terms of like, it, in terms of timelines and dimensions and characters. Yeah, character yeah. shit. Yeah, I just finished that like uh, two or three days ago. I'm not gonna spoil it, but I I love that show. It's so good. It's it so is. good. It's fantastic. It's that does crack me up though, because it's like my husband is really like he he just doesn't track that stuff very well. So like he's you know it's they change timelines. He's like, wait, isn't that the? And I'm like, oh my god, that's like the purpose of the story. <laughs> yes, it's the same fucking person. It's just yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to be oh, fair oh, though, like I told oh. Shane, I was like, that show makes my brain hurt, but like <laughs> I love it. Like oh, it's so good. Watch it and like you're like you know I'm not quite sure what the hell is going on, but you know I know I enjoy this. It's one of those shows where like I kind of want to go back now that all of it is out there and just blast through it over like a weekend or something. Hey John, or yeah. everyone, but John especially, I think this would be kind of fun. So I googled the best short horror stories ever written. Okay, mm-hmm. because now I'm like, so what? What is that club that we're talking about, right? And so I'm going to just ask you about a few and, and see you, you can you can talk as much as you want about each. But just I'm wondering if you have read a few of these and because sure, sure. a few I haven't. And OK, so uh, the Telltale Heart, obviously, the lottery, uh, obviously, right. Monkey's right, Paw, right. the Willows, right? The Willows. Right. Have you guys read 
Um, where are you going? Where have you been? Joyce Carol Oates? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so good. The yellow wallpaper. Yeah. I yep. don't know if I personally would put the turn of the screw in here, but okay. It's in there. And also, it's a little longer than a short story. Yeah, right, right. Um, I have no mouth and I must scream. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Allison. Yes. Here's the one I'm interested in. The Signal Man. Dickens? Did you read that one? Yeah. Yeah, I've read it a long time ago. I wouldn't, I don't know that I would call that. I mean, it's just your fairly typical, straightforward Victorian ghost story. Okay. Roald Dahl, uh, Landlady? That I haven't read. I haven't either, but I like the, like, it's, I like the, that, doesn't that sound fun right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pigeons from Hell? Pigeons from Hell? That sounds like a Grady Hendrix story. <laughs> 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 this is... Robert and e. I mean that in a good way. Pigeons from Hell. Never oh, heard of it. Or, uh, and this is this is one that I'm embarrassed that I haven't read. This is uh, a good man is hard to find. I have not read that story. Uh, that's that's oh. phenomenal. That Southern Gothic that she she lays on in that story and the end. Oh yeah. Okay. My favorite, my favorite of her of all of her work. Yeah, I think uh, so too. I really like her. She was one of the uh, you know I have an English degree, so I had to read a lot of. I had to read a lot of shit I didn't like. Yeah, but she was yeah. one of the authors I really liked. Yeah, um, she, she was always my balm for having to read Fitzgerald for some reason. Or <laughs> <other>. <laughs> I love him. You know, you're not into him. Is he, too, uh, is he too much of a dandy? Too much sheen? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of Faulkner. I'm really not a fan of Hemingway. Um, <laughs> Sticks, Carl Edward Wagner, great one. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Um, yeah. The Great God Pan. See, I, yep. I a short story about, okay. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, obviously casting the runes. Mm-hmm. I have not read At the Mountains of Madness, but that is not a short story either. Um, no, it's not. It's, you know, but, but uh, some of Lovecraft is just tedious. Uh, Pose, uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, is a better version of that story. Absolutely. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, Sleepy Hollow. Again, I don't know if I would call it a short story necessarily, but I suppose. Right. Um an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, genius. That's a genius. Oh one. yeah, yeah. What? Have you guys read that, Laurel? Rich? I, I I have no. read, like, almost none of these, so I'm yeah. very uh, quiet right um, now. Yeah. I'm almost embarrassed <laughs> at how few I have. Yeah. Young Goodman Brown is a great one. Right. Oh and I yeah. Need to read more of more of him. That is that is a awesome. yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, but anyway. I think we can make the club, is what I'm saying. I, I think I think that this is possible, man. I mean, once, you get, once we got past, like, the lottery, monkey's paw, I mean, really, they once we got past those top three, it seemed possible, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah once we hit the turn of the screw, I'm like, okay, okay, we can, we can, we can do this. <laughs> not, as, not as exclusive as we thought. I like it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I would add, to that list, I would add Dread by Dark Ooh, I'm going to write this down. Wait, is that in Books of Blood? Yeah. Yes. It's okay. one of my favorite horror short stories of all time. That is Barker's best work, I think. Yeah. Um, I love it. I do love Imagica, too, though. But that's, that's oh, almost yeah. more like a fantasy, yeah. so I can see. That's I more of a, a dark story. fantasy. Yeah, yeah, I love Magica, and the um the books of the art were really, really good. Mm-hmm. I enjoy both of those. Is that um, Great and Secret Show? Yeah, Great yeah. and Secret Show. And, and uh, Everville. Yes. Great Secret Show has a couple scenes that really mess me up. Like, really, like, 
like I'll be walked, I'll be like at a birthday party or something. And everyone's yeah. having a great time, and I'm just kind of staring off into space for a second. They're like, "Man, are you all right?" And I'm like, "Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." And I was just, I was just thinking about the Great and Secret Show. Yeah, yeah. No, right. <laughs> that's the <laughs> no, that's the that is the club to aim for. Like the shit yeah, that yeah. someone reads, and like ten years later, they're at right. a birthday party and yeah. they phase out thinking about it. That's that's my goal. That's what I'm. Yeah, yeah. I want this shit to still be fucking with your head when you're in a wheelchair, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about, Grandpa? The greatest secret show. <laughs> <laughs> so many years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, I think Grandpa's ready for the home. No, and even <laughs> and even Grandma knows. Like Grandma's like rolling her eyes. Like I, yeah, exactly. I know what he's I've heard this about. one before. Uh, I heard this one before. The green oh, God, the fucking mailroom. <laughs> hey, Irv, will you shut up about the mailroom? Yes. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in nursing homes, and now I like have this whole different picture. I'm like, how yeah. many of them had this like one scene that they were like, oh, you know, that's. <laughs> I love this idea of like really old horror fans like sitting like in a in like a nursing home. I'm I'm gonna do it somehow. I don't. This is fun. Whatever this is, dude. Yeah. Dude, Carpenter's nursing home. <laughs> dude, I am high fiving you across this mic right now. Years later. <laughs> Carpenter's drive-through. Carpenter's nursing home. Carpenter's yeah. <laughs> I'd like a bag of happiness and um Yeah. <laughs> the Carpenter's Carpenter's weight loss program. <laughs> that one's easy. You just gotta yeah. you just you just gotta eat like a you know, I don't know. Like like don't care as much about it. Right. Yeah. Eat, just, yeah more like whatever. Apathy towards that shit or something. That one's actually a lot easier because you just actually feed them real salad. Right. <laughs> there you go. The morning series is definitely the carpenter's weight loss. <laughs> there's nothing really happens in that one. They they, they all sit around the garden eating lettuce and shit. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't really go anywhere, but yeah. we tried. The fucking red brick road was all overgrown with kale. <laughs> But Carpenter's Drag Race was amazing, and yeah. <laughs> that was the one fucked up race scene right there. <laughs> they didn't even—they never even started their cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh boy. Okay, Campbell, start writing music, man. <laughs> Especially the that you know we need something kind of Days of Thunder esque for the carpenter oh case. Yeah. <laughs> have that like tomorrow and it would be amazing. You know he'd be like so I, so yeah I know what you're talking about <laughs> right it's sort of triumphant dramatic and it and you're like wait a minute he's about to deliver something amazing <laughs> yeah yeah after you talked to him about it five minutes ago or something. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that guy, what a gem, man. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, yep. He did a great job. Yeah, and I'm I'm filming a short movie in um probably in September, I think. Mm-hmm. 
And he is, um, I asked him to do the music. And right on. He already sent me uh, uh, 12, 14 minutes. He read the script and he sent me, I guess he called it like, what do you call it? Like guideline music, like like for me to, for us to feel and, and mm-hmm. act to and stuff. But man, if this was if this was like the soundtrack, I would be like ecstatic. I'll, I'll, I'll I can send to you guys after, and you can hear right it. On. No. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I really really am a am a pretty major Chris Campbell fan for a guy that I had never heard of yeah, prior exactly. to this year. Yeah. Um, he's also you know we'll we'll drop the Chris Campbell fan club thing here in a minute but he's also just a hell of a nice guy super super nice guy yep and we got trashed with him remember yeah (laughs) fucking (laughs) inebriated dude after you left I passed out while he was in the thing (laughs) he told me (laughs) we were listening to his soundtrack I was like let's both hit play at the same time and then like at some point (laughs) <laughs> uh, good times though. Good yeah. Time. But when I what? Yeah. Well, I won't say that. We're actually recording. Okay. It was a good time. It was a good enough time that I won't say what I was just about to say right there. So. <laughs> There's a little bug crawling up me right now. Um, well, I'm glad you cr- finished that with me and not. <laughs> A my in there anywhere? I want this bug to kiss my boo boo. <laughs> Holy shit! This bug just crawled right up my fucking boo boo. <laughs> you are on your own. <laughs> food. It might be food. I can't wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. Poor reality. How's literally crying right there? <laughs> Seven minute pause. Yeah. We, John is John is accustomed to this. We have to have that uh, right. awkward silence there on every show. Well, I just don't know how to follow shit like that up. Yeah, the thing about that pause there is I don't even need to edit it out because the listeners will be sitting there going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suddenly don't feel like I've missed out on anything with like missing the conventions. Like I, I wish I'd gone, but I feel like this is like the end of night convention scenario we've got going on right oh, here. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Josh Mallory, uh, when is that? Uh, the twenty-first? Yeah, the twenty-first. So, what is it? Ten days. Ten days. Right on. That's uh, Tuesday, actually. So, when people listen to this episode, it will be Tuesday, the fourteenth, and you will have exactly one week to wait. But you can order that fucker right now. Um, yes, be strong. Yeah. Just that you do. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys. Yeah. Um, I would go so far as to put it just damn near beating out Unbury Carroll for my favorite Josh Mailerman novel. 
Um, and everybody who knows me knows that that is like the most impossible fucking thing that just came out of my mouth right there. <laughs> it's impossible to compare, though, because it's like really, really because yeah. inspection, too. Like and again, I never I never ever want to say anything specific about it because it's like it's an experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I'm also just like. Yeah, there's a lot of like facial expressions that go along with that that you guys can't see. But in any case, that's, you know, well, I've, seen, I've seen your most important facial. Is... Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah. What, what is your favorite, John? Goblin. Goblin is my hands down favorite, but Mallory is a, a very close second. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. This is yeah. Amazing. It's a yeah. great book. You know, the, the nice thing about it for me, Josh, was that it felt familiar but it was completely different. I mean, the characters that you were familiar with have grown, which they should. Um, but a lot of a lot of people aren't. A lot of authors aren't able to pull that off. Where you, you know, you read something that obviously takes place years and years after some horrendous shit, and you know, you read it and it's the same, basically the same characters. They haven't grown at all. But th- that was what I found the most. Uh, the most heartening, really, was that you're you you're back with these characters, but they're they're different. They've been changed by what they've gone through, and you can read that on the page. Man, awesome! Yeah, yeah. I and you know it's kind of funny because I forget what episode I mentioned this on, but like <laughs> Bird Box, I think was like one of the first one of the first books I picked up when I got back into reading mm-hmm. at reading and reading horror. So that book was pretty special to me. So reading like Mallory, like when I read bird box, like I never even dreamed of a sequel. So when mm-hmm. I, Mallory, you know, it was just like such an incredible experience because like, bird box had meant so much and you know i never thought there's going to be any more so just being able to go back to that world and like john right. said seeing the growth of those characters you know it it, it was a really special thing like i said because of the place that bird box had for me you know getting back into this but um i also wanted to give a special shout out to on this the day of the pig as one of my favorites <laughs> good book yeah man thank you um um <laughs> the other thing about that can we talk about this josh i think we can talk about this um real quick because i'm gonna have to you know go feed my wife or die soon but um <laughs> It's uh, so recently, I think it was bloody disgusting. Or you said uh, there's a follow-up in the works in development for a follow-up to Bird Box. Well, so I'm not even trying to be PC when I say this. All I know is that um, development has begun. And that they they let us know that they want like they let us know that they wanted to do it and that development has begun. That's all I know. Meaning I don't know who's attached, who's right. on, who like writing, like nothing. But also my experience with Bird Box was like that also. Like um, mm-hmm. I didn't hear things for you know weeks at a time, months at a time, and then I'm like drunk in Grand Rapids and I get a phone call <laughs> that the Bullock's gonna be in the movie, and I was like. What? And I like peed my pants, you know? Well, yeah, I, no kidding. I may have peed my pants before, but they. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> now you had an excuse. <laughs> but then, but still, but then, um, uh, then, so I remember, um, I got a text from a friend that was like, dude, the preview for Bird Box is great. And I was like, you know, honestly, God, I was like, um, where'd you see it? Like, I haven't seen this yet. And it was on YouTube or whatever. So I'm with Mallory. I'm just kind of like, all right, they said they want to do it. Development's begun. I'm just, if I don't hear anything, I don't, I just, I'm just kind of, I don't want to say having blind faith, but I'm just just faith that it's going to, it's going along its course and that's where it's at. So that's all I know so far. But hopefully, hopefully we'll hear like, you know, more news cast wise, like soon or so. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, this has been amazing, man. You guys, if either one of you, as uh, your authorial personalities, have anything you want to share before we kill this tonight, by all means, share. Yeah, John, what's going on? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> uh, Put them on the spot. <laughs> I uh, well, they're turning the fairing into a role playing game, which is pretty cool. Wait, for that's real? awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. Uh, that's dude, awesome. that book, that book is fucking amazing. I'm so yeah, sorry I, I didn't. I wrote a up. new novella set in the fearing timeline, and uh, it's to support this project that this guy who does role playing games, he's turning the fearing into a horror role playing game, which is pretty cool. So that uh, the Kickstarter for the novella is going to be in, it's going to start in September, um, and I'm going to send you a hardcover, Josh, when when they come out. So. Oh my god. And it's yeah, it's uh, the tagline for the promo is, you you only thought he was the king of pain, he's actually the king of fucking hatred. <laughs> wow. <Hey> John. <laughs> John, yeah. that sound all like lofty business wise, but like if somebody, <laughs> if somebody is making a role playing game, have you um, looked into or thought of like the chances of that being turned into a video game as well? I haven't, but I, you know, if anybody, you know, listening to this, <laughs> well, the reason I bring, me up. I bring that up is that my, a buddy of mine came by today mm-hmm. um, only because he was in the in the area because he was picking up a game system, and the reason he bought the game system was for a horror game specifically. And then uh, talking to me at length about how there's a lot, there's been sort of like a lot of horror video games coming out lately. And then I started thinking about like, God, do I have anything that I don't even yeah. like, I can't really imagine like, it it, inspection doesn't sound like a fun video game. <laughs> <laughs> I'd play nope. the hell out of Unburied Carol. I would play I would the hell too. out of Unburied yeah. Carol. Yeah. The theory sounds like a fun Freaking immersive horror that video would be a cool. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I didn't mean to get all lofty business, but maybe that's something that we, we could talk yeah, about. Later, absolutely. So. Okay, cool. But, uh, yeah, and then we've got that thing that we can't talk about that Josh is also involved in that mm-hmm. that is moving along with a publisher that we can't talk about. That. Mm-hmm. Which, oh my God, I can I just say that it's going to rival Dark Forces? That's all. I can say that much. You can this say is, that. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> This is awesome because we've all got this thing that we can't talk about that we're telling everybody about that we can't say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you didn't hear it here, folks. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I got going on. And thanks for inviting me to hang out tonight. It's been cool. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm glad that you showed up, man. It's like 
I almost feel like like you, you like we were we just showed up at the same party, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm really glad glad to have uh, talked to you, man. Well, you need to come down here, or I need to come up there. We need to hang out a little bit more in person. Yeah. Yep. yep. You can uh, meet our ducks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Next time we can pass out together. <laughs> Allison will have me chained to the piano, and I'll be starving. <laughs> he said that. He said that on that podcast. Just, uh, just, you thought uh, it was a joke. <laughs> How did well, we... this is awkward. <laughs> Love that idea. How did he die? Uh, Get it right hey, the wallpaper. Uh, Alex, <laughs> could you could you put some pants on him at least, please? <laughs> no. Or not. That ruins everything. Oh, no, no, no. I definitely have to wear pants. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On that note. Okay, Shane, go feed your wife. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, I was going to see if Laurel and Rich have anything else they want to delve into real quick before we hang up here. Uh, No, for me, just, you know, it's been a blast as always, guys, and thanks for coming on. Uh, This is exactly the sort of thing I needed. Me too. Yes. Me too. Strongly agree. Thank thank you both. Yep. Well, thank you for having me again. It was was Josh's show. I I just glommed on. No, this was the, the Mallerman Taft podcast. We were just fucking hanging out. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, I was like, we should all just stop and let them talk to each other. <laughs> and awesome. we did a few times. Yeah. There were a few times we were chatting offline about how fascinating this was, and we were just listening to this. Show. <laughs> I was, I was at, yeah, I went through the, the 20 great, supposedly, the 20 greatest horror stories with right. Joe. John had read all of them, of course. Yeah, most of them. <laughs> uh, Laurel, I wanted to say one more time how much I loved your book on the way out. Um, I absolutely uh, loved it. And what, like I wrote in the blurb, just a huge mind behind that book and an even bigger heart. And I just, whatever, thanks. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. I, I have yet to read it, but I'm going to. So. Thank so, you. Thank you so much. Thank you both very much. I, I've I heard greatly appreciate it. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> July, July 21st, uh, Mallory, and since we're talking about it, August 10th, uh, Crossroads by Laurel Hightower. Great. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, definitely pre-order Mallory, um, pre-order Laurel's book when it's available. It may be, I don't know, I'm stupid. Um, and, <laughs> and thank get, you and guys. And get up on the Kickstarter for uh, Blood and Brimstone. Yes. Yeah, like middle of September it's going to start. Sweet, okay. And we will be talking to John and Matt about that one soon, too, so... Oh, my God, again? Aren't you sick of me? (laughs) Yeah, dude, I already told you that. (laughs) No one gets sick of Taffany. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Taffany. That's how we should introduce them from now on. <laughs> All right, okay, Tappan. Well, thank you. Yep. <laughs> Take it easy, you guys. We love you. <laughs> yep. Have right. a good night. Bye. Thank you, guys. Good that was guys. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Uh, Bye. Peace. Tell tell Allison hi. I will. All right. Love you, brother. Allison, hi. Anyway, sorry. Right <laughs> <laughs> now, Allison. <laughs> 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 Peace, brother. <laughs> no, I don't want any. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
(laughs) You can't get rid of me now. (laughs) I'm just going to stay on Skype forever now. Yeah. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Uh, That was amazing. I'll talk to you guys later. You too, brother. Peace. All right. Bye, Rich. Bye. See ya. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? (laughs) 